This is the Evangelists Conference podcast. The Evangelists Conference is hosted by J. John, Killy John, and Andy Economides for those called to do the work of the evangelist. To find out more and to book your place for next year, visit evangelistsconference.com. It's great to be here today. Everybody all right? Are you warming up and all of that? I can't do anything about that, so I don't know why I asked. But um, I want to speak to you today as um, a pastor, and I like to pastor evangelists. I do. And uh, so choose one or two and take special interest in their lives and try and speak and, and just be really supportive of that. I mean, I, I guess as pastors, we're supposed to uh, have, you know, in our church, you're supposed to build the fivefold ministry and, you know, you're supposed to hire, you know, I want to hire an evangelist eventually and, and develop all of that. I'm just worried about, you know, hiring a prophet. <laughs> Not sure. Not sure about that higher. So I'll just call them the worship leader, you know, and that's what we'll do. Today, what I'd like to do is I want to speak to you about you. And what I want to do is actually just drop some reflective questions into your heart. And so if you are taking notes, there'll be, I'll ask one or two questions for you to write down, for you to answer in your private devotions, if you will, because I want to talk to you a little bit about being an evangelist as a priest. If you turn with me to the book of Romans, uh, chapter 15, I'm going to read you a passage of uh, the Bible from there, and I want to talk about the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel. So an evangelist as a priest, and really what I want to talk to you about is approaching our work as evangelists from the inside out, from your heart out, from your priestliness out. Uh, Shall we read that passage? Romans chapter 15, and I'm going to read from verse 14. And um, this is what I really feel about you. Uh, Verse 14 says this, For I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge. That's what I think about you, everybody in this room. And that you're competent to instruct one another. I'm not going to speak to you today about how to evangelise, because you're competent to instruct one another and do a much better job than I would. But yet I've written to you quite boldly, Paul said, to remind you on some points and to remind you of them again. And today I've come along to remind you of some things and to get you to reflect on some things. So, uh, Paul goes on to say, to be a minister of Christ Jesus uh, to the Gentiles, he gave me, and this is really my phrase, the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. I want to speak to you today as an evangelist, as a priest. The priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now because of that, therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. Because I I operate in a priestly way, I get to glory 
in Christ Jesus in my service to God. And I will not venture to speak of anything except Christ, what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. Thanks, Killy. I've been struggling with that word for weeks. <laughs> Kathy and I have been practising it this morning. Illyricum. Can we all say it together? Illyricum. Okay, that's how you say it. I have no idea. In fact, here's a little thing. Kathy, that's my wife, Kathy, over there. She's always telling me that I make up names. Like, you know, for shops. Like Brantanos is Brantanios, according to me. And so it's no wonder I struggle with this. Anyway, I went all the way around to Illyricum. I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. So that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see. And those who have not heard will understand. Somebody say amen. Verse 22. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. I'm going to speak from that whole passage. As a pastor, and there's, well, I, I have an evangelist in my accountability group, and he's in this room, and we share deep things. I want to, I feel like evangelists are not pastored. And I know that the pastors in the room, church leaders in the room, you're probably doing a wonderful job with the people you brought with you. But I want to say big respect to you. To getting out in your car, driving out and showing up and going to the meeting where the pastor says, oh, sorry, we didn't do, you know, and and just do it. Big respect to you. Now, as a pastor, my jokes are not going to be funny. Your jokes are really much more funnier than mine. You know, that's evangelists are really, you know, can be very humorous, can't they? Whereas pastors try and be funny and we're striving all the time. And it's an insecurity popularity thing, but we're not funny. But as a pastor, I'm going to tell you some stories that will be true. Whereas you often your stories are not very. Anyway, I'm just kidding. <laughs> not really worried about that you know evangelists do tell some stories don't they in the real word stories anyway so here's one of my stories very early in my Christian life I think it was about 14 I mean I was about 14 I was walking down my street in Stoke-on-Trent I lived in a place called Chell take off the sea and it'll tell you what it was like there and uh, I was walking down Chell down Burleach Road I lived in Burleach Road I don't live there anymore so I'm not worried to tell you my address and um, I was halfway down the road and an old lady pushing a shopping trolley was coming up this road now I say old I was only 14 so she could have been 40 I don't know because you know (laughs) but she's a really old lady and I need to point that out because I don't even think there's any sort of other attraction there. So there's, an old, so there's an old lady coming down the street. And this is really what I'm really weird. As we passed, I felt like I had an elastic band around my waist that went around her waist. And I couldn't, I was walking like I was in 
just in sludge. And it was like there was a tension between us. Now she's an old lady going, ah, she's carrying on. She feels nothing. And there's this, you know, this just real kind of sense in which I, I was like being held back like those gym, you know, elastic bands where you do weight training on and so on. And I, and I, just, I could hardly walk. And then it suddenly snapped. And the Lord said to me, so is that it, Mark, then? Has she gone now? Has she gone into an eternity and that's, and that's it then now? Is that, is that your last thought about that old lady? And that experience stayed with me a really long time in my Christian life about how the Lord values even the old lady with the shopping trolley and how high the stakes were about human existence and how much he values everyone and how much everybody places is placed on the Lord's heart. And it helped me to operate from a very early age from my heart. That people are valuable, that people are worthwhile, that, that even the people we might dismiss, God hasn't dismissed them off the agenda. And that's what I want to begin to encourage you a bit today about that. That I want you to, in a sense, get back that sense again of that value, which I'm sure is already there. In this passage, Paul is writing to the Romans, having done several missionary journeys. We can locate the writing of Romans after the Ephesian riots, and he's, he's kind of a, a seasoned traveller now, but it, although he's seasoned, he still wants to break new ground. He's, he's done several trips, but he's still ambitious for that. And I think today, perhaps we have some people in the room who are starting on their evangelistic journey and we may have some people who perhaps have been doing it for a long time but still that passion reigns in you that you want to break new ground that you still want to continue to do much for Jesus and my gentle encouragement to you today and my if I can be be the pastor teacher today my gentle instruction to you today would be that you continue your ministry and you factor in as a priest. It's a strange instruction to a group like this. Because you're pioneers who break new ground, who go into pubs and do that. Us pastors don't do that. And, or some of us don't. And you pioneer things that are... There are quite cutting edge. Whereas priests, normally what priests are about is they are correctly handling religious things and in sanctuaries and cloistered away with sacred things. But this close priestly handling of the gospel and the process of proclamation is how Paul described it. He describes it as a priestly duty, intimate, God-facing, actually, quiet, and all about, well, I'm doing this before you, Lord. So I, if you keep this passage open, I want to talk to you about four dimensions of this 
priestliness today. And I want to talk to us as priests. Secondly, I'll, I'll just mention posture, the, the posture that we have to have. And then thirdly, I'll talk about our places. Uh, and I want to challenge you a little bit about the places you go to. And then just give a brief word at the end, we'll talk about the pushback. So we'll go priests, posture, places and pushback. There you go. So these are the four dimensions of being a priestly proclaimer. That actually when you enter a space, you are the priest there. So if you want to grow your heart as a priest, I think you have to understand that... And I, Turn to that book, that great evangelistic book in the Bible called Leviticus. I know that we all love to read there and so on. But let's just see some little characteristics of what a priest is like. In Leviticus chapter 8, if you go to verse 12 and verse 13, you will find four distinct characteristics of a priest. That a priest is anointed, that a priest is consecrated, a priest is clothed. And a priest has this posture of obedience. Uh, in Leviticus 8, verse 12, it says this. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head. He's anointed. And then anointed him to consecrate him. And then he brought Aaron's son, uh, sons forward and put tunics on him. He was clothed with sashes around them and fastened caps as the Lord commanded uh, Moses. And so Aaron and his sons, verse 36, did everything that the Lord commanded Moses. They were obedient. Now, we're not going to get the flannel graph out and do a, a big talk on the tabernacle. So don't worry about that. Um, but there's much said. Let's talk about anointing. I don't want to say a lot about anointing, but there's, you'll read a lot of books around anointing and talk about the presence and all that. But I just want to give you one concept today and a reflective question that you need to ask about anointing for you. And this is one concept that you really need to hold on to, and for, actually for everybody and what you do. Anointing really is directed power for specific tasks. If you're taking notes, just write that down. It's directed power for specific tasks. It's not general presence or general gifting or ability. It's directed power so that you can do something. In, in Numbers 3 verse 3, that people were anointed to serve as priests. They, the power was to be a priest, not nothing else. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, Saul was anointed to be the ruler. He wasn't anointed to do other things. He was anointed for that. Jesus himself in Isaiah 61 uh, verse 1 is anointed to preach and proclaim. There, there's a kind of, there's something to do this. And that's what anointing is. So anointing is a specific power for specific tasks. It's how you connect to God and others in specific ways. I want you to reflect on you and your life about how you connect to God and others specifically. It's where you find your freedom and it's where you find your fruit. It's not about all what you can do. It's like, this is what happens when I do it. It's not how J. John does it, not how Mark does it, it's not how Mitch does it or something like that. It's, this is what I can do. And actually, this should release you and it's, you know, from comparison. It's your anointing that you can do. 
Paul, Paul, similar to what Paul was saying, you know, in the New Testament where he said, I found unusual strength when the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. It's like this strengthening grace that, that you can do, that his power is made perfect in your weakness. And so uh, there's a lot of stuff talked about anointing, but actually it's about what God gifts and anoints you to do So I want to ask you, this is the reflective question. Where is your freedom and where is your fruit? What do you get the most freedom from in your ministry? That is your anointing. And and it's really got to release you, not just to take every opportunity and every invite because we all need to survive, but actually we need to be reflected as evangelists say, well, actually, I, I've been asked to do that, but I, I actually, I'm not, that's not me. So I'm not doing that. I'm doing this because that's me. And don't be afraid of that. Stand in your anointing because that's you. That's what priests did. Priests didn't do everything. They did that which they were anointed for. So I want to encourage you about that and say, you have got that. Where's your freedom and your fruit? Priests were secondly consecrated. This idea of consecration is very difficult today. It means separated, but actually what consecration is, I want to take a deeper level into it. It means the way that you look at life. It's how you kind of in your mindset see what life is so that you both celebrate culture and commentate on culture together. Now as evangelists, we've got to in a sense be those people who can celebrate some things but also commentate on some things as well. Consecration is this mindset whereby we connect with people and help them question the direction of culture. You know, you know Jesus said, we're not in, you know, of the world, we're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. He said, sanctify them. He's, what he's trying to say to the disciples there is, your mindset has to be that you can see through things and know what to celebrate, know what to commentate about. I'm gonna talk a lot about it, but I just wanna drop this on your agenda as evangelists. Let me serve you as pastor. Let me just serve you a little bit and and kind of say to you, as evangelists, begin to develop what to celebrate and get involved in, but begin to know what to question and to withdraw from. And that's a high skill of evangelism. And And we've often left it to other people to do that. Now, let me just give you a few or two things of how to make, begin to make that judgment call for you. Making that judgment call means that you are going to have to know what to get involved in for the higher, the higher prize of souls. Some people might criticise you getting involved in something, but you've done it because you think, well, this is where the most fruit is for me. But then... You'll have to balance that with, but getting involved in that means that I'm going to have to look at what the value of my involvement is and where the direction of that thing is going 
and if that's going to do my ministry in. Because we can always make the, the excuse or, oh, I'm doing this for souls. But there are times when you have to say, but the direction of this is not good. And if you can balance those things, let me try and explain it. Um, I, I was going to Oxford. You always feel a bit posher when you go to Oxford, don't you? I go to Oxford on the train, you know, colleges and all of that. And so, you know, oh, some of you are not feeling the poshness there. You can see it. So I was going off to Oxford and, you know, it was a rainy, cold day and, you know, age and everything. Think, oh, I'm a bit late for the meeting. Better go to the loo beforehand, you know, and... Um, so I was on the train and think, oh, I'll just go to the loo before, you know, before we go. Now, just a caveat about this story, okay? I, I, I did a number one, not a number two, okay? But some of you are going to have to ask the reflective question, what if you were in my place and you had have done a number two? What would have you done? So the second caveat I want to say about this is, since, the, since this story... I have washed my hands loads. I've showered and washed, used hand gel, so that's all good. Okay, so I'm in the loo and I'm two number one, just about finished, you know, fasten everything up, it's all good, everything. And my earbud drops out of my ear and falls down the toilet in my number one. And I'm thinking... Do I leave it? Because Or do I put my hand in and retrieve my earbud? It was an Apple one. Apple earbud. <laughs> that was like, you know, Apple. I mean, the elephant in the room who isn't here, me and him don't tell our wives when we're going to the Apple store. We just go and bankrupt ourselves. So the value to me was I put my hand in to the mess because I wanted my earbud. And the value to you about your ministry will be that sometimes you're going to have to get involved in some things that isn't brilliant, but the value is souls. And some people are going to say, why are you there? And you'll say, because the value is souls. Come on now. But you know what? I didn't leave my hand in there and go, oh, I'm staying here. And this is all for souls. So I'm just going to stay here. I didn't do that. And I didn't live there. And actually, what I did do is push it further down. I had to flush the lost the earbud. So, even when you get involved sometimes, it's not going to be successful. <laughs> Quickly moving on from this story, consecration means that sometimes you get involved in things that are difficult, but you have to always evaluate the direction of where it's going. That's it. Priests were thirdly clothed. Now, similar to the New Testament, um, the spiritual armour is really, when we talk about priest clothing, we talk about grace coverings that we've received in Christ. That's what the spiritual armour is. 
That's what's already available to us through character. You know, the Colossians tells us to clothe ourselves with as dearly loved people, with clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. And when, when we read about clothing in the Old Testament or we read about armour, really what we're talking about, it's not prayer declarations, they're grace coverings of what we receive in God. And I'm not going to go through every bit of clothing, but some specific clothing of the priests were the first thing that they used to wear was something called an ephod it's like an apron one of my one of my uh, congregation men said oh pastor is that like a mankini and I said whatever you want to describe it as but the ephod the the thing that's often missed about these clothes the thing about an ephod was is it actually was in the same colors as the holy of holies it was the same it, was, it showed a colour of what normal people would never see. Ordinary people would never see inside the Holy of Holies. And when the priest was wearing the ephod, it was a little flavour of what the inside was like. And that's one of the features of it. And one of the roles as an evangelist, as priest, is you've got to learn ways of describing the inside to the outside. Now, we take a lot of time to be relevant to the outside so that we can reach them. But I want to just lay something on you today. And why don't you begin to think to the Lord, Lord, how could I describe the inside to the outside in ways that they can catch a flavour of it? You know, like, uh, somebody once said to me, a Church of England person said to me, why do you Pentecostals sing so much? What is that about? And I said, well, that's the way we pray. And if you understand Pentecostals, the way that we pray is by singing. That's why we're singing all the time. We're praying. You've got to learn to describe to the outside what, what, what's the inside like. Uh, Kathy and I, we had a, a different sort of Christmas this year, and... We were invited, we went out on Christmas afternoon for a walk and there was a congregation members who had invited us to their house. And uh, well, the grandparents of congregation members and they said, oh, we, they would just love you to come. And so we went out there and it was about four o'clock, it was going dark and we did a little walk and then they said, oh, please come, we want you to come. And we, we hadn't really planned to come. We said, okay, we'll, we'll come. And when they opened the door, uh, the little boy, he was autistic and non-verbal. He ran to the door and he embraced us. Oh, that was a lovely moment, you know. And I want you to say, this family were lovely, you know. But, and he was in his pyjamas. This little boy was in his pyjamas. So, oh, that's so lovely. And then the lady came, who was the mum, and uh, she gave us a lovely hug and we felt so welcome. She was in her pyjamas. And then, and then the sister came out, and these are grown-up people, and then... She was in her pyjamas. And so we're thinking, this is a pyjama party and we, we didn't really know. And so, and then the dad came and he was in a Christmas hat and he had his little fluffy sweatshirt, but he had his pyjama trousers on. And I kind of made a joke of it. I kind of said, oh, we feel overdressed. And they went, oh, no, it's fine. And all the snacks. And so we sat around with this family and they're all in their pyjamas. And me and Kathy are thinking, Please don't ask us to change into our pyjamas during this. They had obviously had a chat about hospitality. And, said, oh, and that was obviously their tradition on Christmas afternoon to be in their pyjamas. But they forgot to tell us what the inside was like. 
and therefore we were a bit uncomfortable. Well, we're pastors, so we, we've, you know, we got over it very quickly and ate all the snacks and <laughs> went home and said, that was a bit strange, but hey, we enjoy it. <laughs> but I want you to know they were lovely people and they were really treated us well. But they forgot to describe what the inside was going to be like once we got there. And sometimes I think you can do this church a really great service by saying, hey, you know what church is like? And often we do this, and this is what it means. You can do that much better than pastors can do it. And you might want to try that. You know, it's interesting that on the ephod, on the, on the shoulders of the ephod, they had people's names or the tribe's names. And I wonder who you're carrying on your shoulders, actually. One of the other uh, parts of... Uh, the clothing of a priest was a breastplate. And uh, really, Exodus tells us that the breastplate was really for making decisions. It reminded the priest that they had to make judgments and decisions. And most evangelists would probably be reticent about giving a directional word to a church or controversial doctrines. You probably leave that to the pastor. I understand that. But I want to gently challenge you today is one thing you must not back away from. And culture will ask you to back away from this a lot. You must call people to decisions. As a pastor, I'm asking you, do not back away from asking people for decisions. Now, you can sharpen that up a lot to, uh, to calling for decisions for Christ, obviously, but also calling people to holiness, calling people to make closer decisions. But do not let culture stop you calling for people for decisions. Can I hear an amen from all the evangelists in the room? I have noticed a little drift that evangelists have stopped calling people for decisions. Be a priest and call for decisions. Last thing before we get into the tabernacle and what all the tent pegs mean and all of that. <laughs> One of the uh, grace coverings was a robe that they wore and on the robe was a round was was uh, decorated with pomegranates, which was the uh, most fruitful uh, thing. And it also had bells on it, you know. And a uh, friend of ours, uh, oh, uh, Jay John, always just say, Dave Carr, always just say to me, oh, there's their tingling moment, you know. But the two things about the priests wearing pomegranates is they were always reminded about where their fruitfulness should be. And I want to remind you that your goal is not just going through the motions, but it is souls and people who want to share the gospel. I want to remind you that fruitfulness is important and that as a priest, you have to have that always in your mind. What's the fruit of this? Not just surviving on the circuit. The fruit isn't that you get to pay your bills. The fruit is souls and people who want to share the gospel. So your fruit should be, who am I raising up and who am I winning? I want to remind you that your fruit always has to be in your mind. 
And uh, there's a theory that the priest had bells on his robe because, you know, if they ever were uh, died in the Holy of Holies, you could drag them out if you couldn't hear the bells or if, they, if you hear erratic noises that the priest was having a seizure or something because of the glory of God, you could pull them out. And I just wonder what noise is coming off your ministry. And I wonder if there's anybody who hears the noise of your ministry and can speak into it. I want to really encourage you that your ministry always makes a noise and have you got any fresh voices that speak into that and say, hey, you know what? The noise coming off your ministry right now is a little bit erratic. The noise coming off your ministry right now has gone silent. Have you got anybody that speaks into that? Because that's really important. There were other garments and we won't go into those, but Really, most of the garments of, the, of a priest really spoke about the posture. And I want to just mention that, that the posture that they had was the same that Paul had in this passage. The posture was is that the priest had to be obedient to everything that was commanded. The posture of a priestly evangelist is obedience. We have to accept that just because we can do something does not mean we should do it. The posture is is this right, Lord? Can I do this because you're commissioning me to do this? To keep this obedient posture and step into this posture, we have to be like Paul, where there's a God touch, there's a favour on our ministries where we're saying, this isn't just an opportunity, this is a God touch for me. In what we do with our things, our heart, our ministry. Like Paul said, I glory in Christ and the service of God. I've resolved that I'll preach nothing but Jesus. I wonder if we can have that posture where we say, am I commissioned to do this, Lord? It's similar to the thought about anointing. Where, where's your lane and what's God opening up? Well, let's just finish the, the passage, shall we? And uh, I, I want to just come to just two last little thoughts. And um, it seems to me that the last two dimensions, apart from being a priest and this posture of, of just obedience where you, that's all you want to do. I only want to go where you want me to go, Lord. It seems to me that the last two dimensions of the places that Paul went to were strategic. And actually, in the, in the original language of this passage, the Greek is really unusual. Illyricum, uh, which is the wrong way of saying, Illyricum, is a, in Croatia, Albania, and Jerusalem, but actually that phrase all the way around is a really unusual phrase in the Greek because it means in circles. And it means that Paul travelled not just in straight lines but he went around in circles to where he needed to go. And he did two things at once and these are the two things I want you to consider. We're right at the beginning of 2024 is that Paul strategically revisited some places. I... Could I, could I be slightly prophetic? There are some places that some people in this room need to revisit and build on what you have deposited. Rather than just being on the circuit that you do, that you need to ask God 
that you strategically go back to some places and build something even more. Can you receive that as a little word from the Lord? That you would reflect over the next few days and say, well, God, I've set my schedule a lot for 2024, but I need to go back to some people and some places and rebuild. That's what Paul was doing. He said, from Jerusalem all the way around to right to the edge of Albania, I travelled in circles. And I rebuilt some things. But actually, I'm going to say a contradictory thing because Paul had the idea of breaking new ground and going to Spain. And I am speaking to evangelists today. I wonder if you have got your set circuit of the things that you do. And, you know, everybody loves you there and it's really happy and everybody claps you there and they love what you do. But I wonder what would be some new ground that you need to break. That's exactly what Paul did here. He said, I'm going around building what I've built, but I've got a desire to break some new ground. And again, can I be mildly prophetic? My prophetic word to you is in your travelling And my challenge to you might seem contradictory, but I think I want to call you to what's called strategic travelling. That you build something that you've already built and you break some new ground that you haven't yet done. Could you receive that, please? Would you just hold your hands open just for a moment and say... Build, revisit, break new ground. I I want to call you as evangelists. See, as a pastor, I'm going to stay in the same place. I'm going to dig a well and dig it deep and make it healthy. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm not called to travel around. But are you called just to survive or be anointed Travel strategically, be clothed with the right clothes to be a priest and to build some things and to go back to some places and finish off some work that you haven't quite finished yet. But can you this year say, but I want to break some new ground? Because you know that what Noel led us in earlier, this is for our survival Look, this year is going to be a difficult year. I'm not prophesying. I've just been watching the news. You know, we've got an election. We've got a war in Ukraine that's grinding on. We've got trouble in the Middle East, which we're all worried about. America has got their election coming up. It's very divided. But we need you as evangelists to break new ground. We need you. We need you to have the courage to say, I do what I do but God, lead me to some places that I have not been and break some new ground. That's what Paul did. Paul did it relentlessly. He said, I'll go back and I'll strengthen that church, but I'm going forward. And he did actually get to Spain. So I want to close today with the last phrase of the passage. 
Paul said, I've often been hindered in coming to you. And as well as being a priest, and as well as having this posture of obedience, and as well as considering the places that we go to and strategically considering that, and not just surviving and being on the circuit, I want to say to you that you're going to have pushback. Do you think the enemy is pleased about what you're doing? He's, he can't stand you. I mean, if you want to be popular with everybody, fine, but you'll never be popular with everybody. Particularly the enemy and his people. And Paul said, I have, I have been hindered. I have had pushback. And we all will too. And I want to say two things about it. The first thing I want to say about it is this, that what you need now and what I have found the great benefit of is you need, and everybody needs this, whether you're a full-out evangelist or you're just helping in a church, everybody in the room, you need some intercessors who cover you. And you need to know who they are. I've got one guy at the moment, he texts me every day. Every single day he texts me and said, Mark, how are you doing? In fact... J. John has been great for me this year. He texts me very regularly and says, Mark, how are you doing? And it's more than a text, there's a prayer in it. I want to say to you as an evangelist, if you've not got a group of intercessors, you must recruit them in the next two months. You must recruit them because you will receive pushback. And as much as we're not all into that spooky stuff and we make a little bit of fun, actually... We're against some spiritual forces, so recruit some intercessors. So if you, can't, if you can't write down your intercessors' names right now, you have an open goal waiting to be scored against you. So can I leave that with you? To recruit some intercessors, intercessors who you know their name. Last thing. Very last thing. You've all read that scripture, haven't you? In fact, you might want to turn to it. Isaiah chapter 54. And you've read verse 17, haven't you? Noel, why don't you just come, if you don't mind. You've read verse 17, haven't you, where, where you says, no weapon for... In fact, come on, I'll read the first line. Read it, read it with me. No weapon forged against you. Come on, you say it after me. Okay, no weapon formed against you. Okay, don't mumble it. Proclaim. This is not a mumble scripture. This is a, come on, let's proclaim it. No weapon formed against you. Okay, we got it, yeah. Evangelists are so hard to get in line, aren't they? Okay, no weapon formed against you. Will prevail. Will prevail. It won't prevail. Come on, get into it. And know, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. And you will refute every tongue that accuses you. Come on, let's say it. No weapon formed against you will prevail. And you will refute every tongue that accuses you. But you know what verse 16 says? 
it says, the Lord says this, see, I, it was me who created the blacksmith who fans the coals the, into the flame and forges uh, a weapon to fit its work. And it is I who have created the destroyer to wreak havoc. And, and in a sense, what the Lord is saying, remember that the person who created weapons against you, I created them. They are not stronger than me. They can't do anything stronger than I can do. So if you've got something against you, remember that I'm even bigger than them and that they didn't actually exist because uh, before me and that there's no opposition that is made that I haven't stood behind and I'm stronger than it. That's what that verse means. We quote verse 17 and we forget verse 16 that no matter what stands against you, God is already above it. And at the moment, friends, I am living this and I know that no weapon formed against me will prevail. You've been listening to the Evangelists Conference podcast. Visit evangelistsconference.com to find out more.